Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, we started a sermon series last Sunday called At His Feet. And if you were here last Sunday, we looked at the account of Mary and Martha. And this count is famous within churches. If you grew up in church, you know this. You know this account. You know this story. And we were joking around last week on how most people, and when I say people, I mean typically women in the church will tend to identify as either a Mary or a Martha. And we were joking around last week on how Marthas are the more type A personalities. They're the more punctual ones. Marthas have their lists and they work on their lists. And we tend to view Marys as the more free-spirited type of people that just enjoy conversation. And, well, that wasn't, uh, we brought that up because that's kind of a, a running church, you could say, like, joke within, like, Christianity. Like, outside of, outside of church, if you walked up to just someone, like, on the street, be like, hey, do you know about Mary and Martha? They'd be like, we have no idea. This is a cultural reference to the church. But we actually looked at this account, and we see that, that Martha though she does seem to get a bad rap, she did welcome Jesus into her, her home, but Martha was just distracted, Jesus says, that she was distracted and anxious and troubled. And the reality is, is that Martha missed the fact that Jesus was in her home. She was so busy running around and worried about the things of this world that she missed the fact that Jesus had come into her home and Jesus had been inviting her to come and to listen to his teachings. And, and we even read last week on how Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week we looked at how Jesus invites us to come to his feet, to come and to learn, to listen to him. Well, this week, we are going to look at another dinner account. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, start chapter 12. And we're going to stand as we read this account this morning. So this is John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the Word of God says this this morning. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the the money bag, he was used to helping himself to what was pulled put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you, we worship you, we praise you. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we look at this account in your word this morning, 
Father, may we worship you this morning. May we learn from you. I thank you for your word. And Father, we give you praise this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to quickly point out, if you've ever read the Gospels, you will read this account within two other Gospels as well, in, in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. I left out the Gospel of Luke because there is a debate on whether or not this account is actually in that Gospel, but that is for another time to even discuss that account. But those other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, share this same account, give us this, this same story here, but Matthew and Mark leave out a bunch of details. One, they don't give names. Matthew and Mark just, they do not give specific names of who said what, but it is still the same account taking place there. Well, I find it very fascinating that Mary and Martha are, are within God's word at a couple of different times, and it's the same setting. I want to just point this one out here r- real quick here. What, what we looked at last week was Mary and Martha having dinner with Jesus. This week, we are in the same setting, but a different, a different time frame here. And we do see once again in verse 2, what is Martha doing? Just want to point this one out. So they gave a dinner for him in verse 2 there. What's Martha doing? Martha's serving again. The, the word of God points that one out that, hey, Martha, she's back at serving again. Now, Jesus is not addressing Martha here. This is a, we talked about this last week. The women at this time, it was a cultural reference in a cultural time that when there was a dinner, when there was a hosting someone, the women at the time would have been culturally behind the scenes serving. And it just points out here that, hey, Martha is serving here again. Verse 3 is going to be pointing out where Mary is, but it's just, it's two different circumstances. But you can see that the Word of God really values these, these two women in this account. Now, Jesus was also good friends with this family. It wasn't like this was some a strange family. As you read the Gospels, Jesus has this relationship with them there that is probably a little bit more personal than most here. But... Once again, Martha's serving, but let's dive into this account and let's see how we can glean from it today. In verse 1, it says this. We get some details of the situation. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We get this time of year, and you can actually leave that verse up there a little bit here, Jacob, is that it wants to remind us, the reader, that this is six days before the Passover, meaning this is five days before Jesus is about to die. I, I, just, I just want us to, to kind of understand the, the scene here. And John makes it clear that they are having dinner in Bethany with Lazarus. Now, that name Lazarus was a common name at this time, but John is making it clear to the reader that no, this isn't just any old Lazarus. This is the Lazarus whom Jesus had raised 
from the dead. And that's going to be important for us at the reader at this time. Now, we do not know what the time period was when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to this dinner table. So Jesus had raised Lazarus, and then they're having this dinner. Some, some scholars believe that this dinner took place within 24 hours of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, I don't know if that one is absolutely true, but we do get a sense that there is a small time frame here. Lazarus gets raised, and we're going into this, this, this dinner scene. But it's important for us to understand who is here at, the, at this dinner. You got Mary again, you got Martha, and you got their brother, Lazarus, who... Like what I already said, John makes it clear. This is the Lazarus that came back. And what is Mary doing in this scene? Look at verse 3. So they're having this dinner. It's in Bethany. It says, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I want to just, you can also leave that verse up here. I want to just kind of point out, because sometimes when we read Scripture, we can just kind of like pass over, like, oh, okay, so they're having this dinner. Uh, okay, Mary, okay, Pastor Mary is, is once again at the feet of, of, of Jesus here. But it points out some important things here, that there was this expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, you as the reader may not know this, this, is, this ointment and this spice is not from that region. Like physically, it's not within the Middle East. When you look into it, it comes between the Himalayas of Tibet and India. Now, this spice would have been down the, the Silk Road, delivered there, but this spice also at this time, this is what I found out, is that Men and women, they would buy spices as an investment. Now, I know that that's not, I mean, unless there's some of you that have a whole pantry full of spices, and you're like, this is my investment into the future. But, but at this time, it was small. It was able to be, you could be, be, be purchasing the spice over time. And they would use it as an investment because at this time, you could be trading the spice for other goods at this time. And remind us, there's no Amazon shipping back then. This spice, they make it clear, this was very expensive. Horseback, probably people, through the Silk Road into Jerusalem, into that region to be getting sold. And the Bible points out is that this would have been a year's wages of what Mary was doing here. Um, according to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, they, he points out that, that when Mary anointed Jesus, when she took this oil with this very expensive spice, she actually put it upon Jesus' head. Now, here in the Gospel of John, we see, G, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair. Now, there is no, um, um, how to say this, it's, one account talks about the head, and one account talks about Mary being at the feet. 
what you can grasp here is that there was so much oil that when she dumped this oil upon Jesus, there was so much that it was literally covering his entire body from head to toe. And her being at Jesus' feet at this time, I can't even explain how culturally different this was. For her to take her personal hair, this means that she was uncovered. You know, if you go to the Middle East, the women are covering. At this time, they would have been covered. Mary literally takes her covering off and takes her hair to dry Jesus' feet. Now, there were some haters in this, um, in this story here. Look at verse 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And, and he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John points out here, and he kind of takes a, a little bit deeper here. He, he first of all gives us a name. Who said these words? Well, it was Judas. Why did Judas say these words? You know, why did, why did Judas say, hey, this is really expensive. We should give this money to the poor. It wasn't because he cared about the poor. John like, John like points this one out here. Judas is just putting up like this like uh, virtue signaling front of like, hey, this money, we could have really have used this money here, Jesus, you know, for the poor people, you know, because the poor people are, they're important. And, you know, he's like trying to like come off as like, hey, this, we could have been doing a better thing with this here. But John makes it clear. It's just a front. Judas, he, he is just simply saying this because he was in charge of the money. And this Judas used to help himself to it. And Jesus says this in verse 7. He says, leave her alone so that, you, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, Judas, you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Basically saying, Judas, if you want to take care of the poor, you can actually do that anytime. You don't have to wait till there's this expensive ointment to be, to be sold or used. You can basically do this anytime here. Now, I want to just get back to Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. This is directly tied to Lazarus. You might be sitting there thinking, well, how is this directly tied to, to Lazarus here? If you have your Bibles, like physical Bible, there's like titles like, it's like at the top, right? This, the title of this section is the anointing of Jesus. When Mary is anointing Jesus with this expensive oil, I don't believe she was thinking, I'm anointing Jesus for his, for his burial coming up here. Because John gives us clues and gives us the background to what is happening. What just happened here? Her brother Lazarus just came back from the dead. Like, 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 really comprehend this. They're here having dinner. Jesus is there. Her brother is there, who just maybe a week earlier, she spent four days mourning his death. Scripture teaches us in John chapter 11. Four days, Lazarus sat in that tomb, dead. Not half dead, dead, dead. 
Okay, just like we have to just be, be, be like making this one clear here. And then they're at this dinner, okay? And you can see what is, what is taking place here. Mary is overwhelmed by the fact that her brother is sitting there. It, the scripture like, like sets this scene. Who's there? Lazarus is there. Martha's there. Mary's there. Those three, siblings. But a week, week earlier, her brother was gone. And they're having this dinner, and you can see that Mary takes her life savings, probably, and she wants to give thanks to Jesus. Her brother is eating food with them. She can't believe this. How did the, Jesus, you, I mean, I mean, they physically saw Jesus go to the tomb, call Lazarus out. He comes walking out. And Mary is so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done. The only thing she can possibly think of is take her life savings and pour it upon Jesus. When you really look at this account, she's coming to worship the Lord with all that she has. How much would we appreciate? I want you to kind of just put yourself within Mary's shoes here. Let's say you lost a loved one. Heaven forbid you lost a child. And you mourned for four days. Your brother died, your child died. And then all of a sudden, this Jesus, whom you have been following, who, who you have had relationship with, shows up and brings your loved one back to life. You and I, I'm just going to guess, would give anything to get a loved one back. And I mean anything. Life savings, no problem. And this was probably her life savings. And here she is in this room having dinner, and she's looking at Jesus like, you brought my brother back. Now, culturally at this time, it, it, it doesn't say Mary and Martha were married. I mean, I mean, guys, there is so much tied culturally to her brother taking care of them culturally at this time. If there was, if there was only three kids, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and if Mary and Martha are not married, their parents are probably gone, like socially, how do you make it without a man in your life at this time? Okay? And all of a sudden... Her brother's back. You can see why she took this and anointed him. Because I'm just guessing, me and you, if a loved one we lost came back, we would give everything. We'd have, we'd have no issues being like, I would give anything to get my loved one back. And here she is anointing Jesus' feet, taking her hair, getting in a posture of worship 
and just adoration to the one who brings her brother back. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, come on, what does this have to do with us here? This Jesus who raised her brother Nazareth from the dead, you may not know this theological truth, but he raises people from the dead today. I want to point out Colossians 2. This is Apostle Paul writing this. He says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We may not always feel this way, but Scripture teaches us a very vital truth, that men and women outside of Christ are literally dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, we might argue, well, I'm still breathing, I, you know, I can still go to the store, I can still, you know, like, looks like I'm still like living life. But Scripture teaches us that men and women are dead in their trespasses and sins. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I hope you picked up on the past tense there. This is who you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But it is Christ who brings us alive. Through his death and resurrection, church, Jesus wasn't just here to be a good moral teacher and to you know, make us feel good about ourselves. And you know, He came to bring dead people alive. And the, something that, that, that this world does not recognize, but we as the church have to, to truly recognize this truth. This is who we were but then Jesus comes. And then Jesus brings men and women back from the dead today. Now, you might be like, well, that's just spiritually dead. Yeah, you were spiritually dead. You had no place in the kingdom of God. You were separated from God. Later on in Ephesians, we were once a child of wrath. Meaning, we were not children of God. We were not like this all lovey-dovey, like everything's great. We were dead in our sins. But then Christ, and Christ raises us from the dead, brings us alive together with him. Last week we talked about being at his feet, learning. And we talked about not being like a bunch of Marthas. And some of you texted me afterwards, Pastor, I've been a Martha my whole life, and I don't want to be a Martha anymore. And I was like, well, okay, I hope we understand the point of, of what was happening last week here. But this week, church family, I want to invite us to the feet of Jesus. And I mean physically to the feet of Jesus. We come because he's worthy. We come to give him worship and praise. And we come to lay down our lives, and we thank him for bringing us back from the dead.
Now, what do I mean by that? We don't physically have Jesus here today. You know, he's not just physically standing here. When I say coming to the feet of Jesus, I think about it in prayer. And I think about it in our own personal lives. And I want to truly ask you this. Have you ever physically gotten on your knees to pray and to honor the king? And I mean physically. This isn't metaphorically. This isn't like, okay, you you know, pastor, I bow my life down to him. I'm asking you as a church family because, because as we read these two accounts from last week and this week, you see Mary in this physical posture of adoring Jesus, of thanking Jesus. Here she's thanking him. You brought my brother back from the dead, and I, I give you everything I have, Jesus. And I want to be challenging us this week, church family. It doesn't have to be here on Sunday morning in church. But Jesus says when you pray, you know, go in to your closet, close that door and pray to your Heavenly Father who sees you. I want to be challenging us, church family, to be men and women that when we come to Christ, to come in a posture of humility, in a posture of worship, in a posture of adoration, in a posture of thanksgivingness, where we actually bend our knees to the King, where, where we physically get down and we say, Jesus, you brought me back from the dead. Jesus, you, you saved my soul. And I'm here to worship you, to honor you, to praise you. And I give you everything. My life, Lord Jesus, is yours. Everything I have is yours. And I want to challenge us this week, church family, to be men and women who bend a knee to the King. I want to read one last scripture verse for us. Philippians 2. It says, In being found in human form, he's talking about Christ here, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it says, Since Jesus was the obedient son, which he was, he says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the the Father. Now, we know this verse, and you've probably read this verse, church family. Eventually, every human being Everyone, whether on this side of heaven or after, every knee will bow to the king. And I guess I'm challenging us to be willingly bowing a knee to the king. I would hate to hear that, oh, I, I, didn't, I did not know this when, you, when one day when you finally see him face to face and you never bowed a knee, you never gave your life to him because nobody ever warned you. I want to warn you as well. Eventually, your knee will bow. My knee will bow. 
And I'm going to be challenging us this week to be willfully bending our, bending our knees to the King. I'm going to ask for you to be standing, and I want to be praying for us today. The worship team is going to lead us in a final song, which I think is fitting because it's declaring who Christ is. But let me pray for us today. Father, as we looked at Mary and Martha's lives, Father, we, we see Mary in a posture of worship to you. Father, may your people, may your church, may Jeff Woodward bow a knee to you every single day. Father, you have brought us back to life. You have saved our wicked and wretched souls. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Father, may, may we be men and women that just humble ourselves before you every day. Father, we are unworthy of the sacrifice you have made. But out of your great love for us, for your creation, you came and you died and you were resurrected for us. Father, we come to you, we worship you, we praise you today. Father, as we sing this last song together, do a work within our hearts. Father, if there, are, if there is somebody here that has not given their life to you, may they bow their life to you today, Lord. May they make a commitment to follow you. Father, we praise you today. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>